Welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you a new episode, a new recording of our introductory series, What is Fascism? Specifically, what I'm hoping you can come away from this episode knowing is what the difference is between fascism and other figures and features of the right wing in the political landscape, specifically what differentiates fascism from the more mainstream right wing that is to say, conservatives. But in order to do that, I'm going to go back in time, give you some historical background, talk about what fascism was when it originated. The word fascism comes to us from Italian, which took the word from Latin. Uh, the original root word here is fasces, a Latin word that means a bundle or collection. Uh, specifically, it means a bundle of rods surrounding an axe. It was a Roman symbol of power and authority. It's been used throughout the Western world uh, as a symbol of, you know, Roman heritage or like, you know, the legacy of the Roman Empire and the Roman Republic. Uh, but it's also just a symbol of unity and power. Uh, you can see it in various building facades, uh, many of them in the United States. It's been on several uh, issues of United States coinage. It's in the interior of the United States House of Representatives. It's on a lot of government buildings all over the world. In Italy, uh, in the early 20th century and, and also the late 19th century, this bundle, this grouping, uh, became something a little bit more general. It became the Italian word fascio, uh, which means bundle again, uh, but can also signify a league or a group of people. And that was the way in which the name was used uh, before Mussolini. Uh, but he chose it specifically uh, to name his ascendant uh, political you know, group, his, his, his ascendant political ideology, uh, because he wanted to choose something that was new and that symbolized unity, uh, but also the uh, infinite recesses of the past, you know, the glories of former Italian civilizations. After World War One, and this is not a fully exhaustive history. This is a quick rundown. Mussolini constructed a political movement, the Fascist Party, uh, that sought state power via participation in the electoral process. You know, they stood for elections. Uh, but that electoral process was destabilized significantly by the Italian Fascist Party's violence. This model of using political violence to engage in electoral democracy was taken up by a lot of other fascist political organizations, most successfully in the German case in Germany, Nazi Germany, um, but also in the only other case where a Nazi party was able to really truly take over the state apparatus, uh, which is in Austria. Most other fascist movements uh, that arose uh, at the time in the 1930s uh, that had some degree of state power held that power in an alliance with other mainstream right-wing forces. Uh, in this case, we're talking about Spain, Portugal, Romania, uh, several other cases um, in which fascist movements were powerful figures in their national politics, but did not hold state power themselves. In other cases, fascist groups were much smaller groups of like you know, intellectuals, protesters, uh, dissident veterans, stuff like that. Uh, such groups were effectively ubiquitous uh, throughout, especially the Western world, uh, right before and immediately following World War II. Fascism has a history of violence uh, and repression and, uh, of course, is responsible for the, well, some of the greatest crimes committed in the history of humanity, for example, the Holocaust. Uh, I'm not going to be focusing specifically on those things in this talk, but I also can't fail to mention them here. Uh, this is the reason that fascism is such a terrifying political force, because it engages in violence as not just as a means to an end, uh, but as a, a, an end in itself. 
Effectively, since World War II, no clearly fascist regime has really taken state power, uh, though through collaboration, uh, such as in Spain, um, and smaller groups um, that we see throughout the world have continued to rise. Okay, so that was a little bit about fascist history. What exactly is fascism, though? Like, you know, as an insult, uh, fascism gets thrown around a lot. You know, people call cops fascists. Uh, a lot of people call communists fascists. Well, people who don't know anything about communism or fascism call communists fascists. But what is fascism really? First, I'm going to talk a little bit about what fascism claims to be. Classically, fascism claims to be a third way between liberalism, uh, that is oldie time, lowercase l liberalism, free elections, capitalism, it's stuff, you know, we're talking Adam Smith here, uh, and the Marxist left, um, you know, that believes in economic egalitarianism, class politics, and stuff like that. Fascism claims to be a third way, a, a, a way through the difference between these two ideologies. Fascism often claims to be neither of the right nor the left, this is complete nonsense. Fascism is clearly a right-wing ideology, but they always talk about themselves as being neither the right nor the left. Fascism usually uh, is uh, nostalgic for the past while looking forward to the future. You know, fascism presents itself as virile, as youthful. Uh, fascists are also revolutionaries. Uh, they believe in radical political change. Uh, they earnestly believe in hierarchy and discipline. You know, they like order. Uh, they like leaders. Uh, this is why fascist movements are often connected to or stemming from military organizations. Fascists are often critical of capitalism, but also staunchly anti-communist. And so what this means is that they'll say something like, you know, the order of the businesses, like, like all these big corporations are destroying our natural social order. And also we have to kill the communists. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're not Marxists, but they are critical of some of the ways in which capitalism affects uh, normal everyday people. Fascists are also ubiquitously nationalists, although they're not necessarily always racist or anti-Semitic, uh, although they are in very, very many cases, uh, and that's partly because of the legacy of the Nazi party. Fascists, finally, may or may not actually call themselves fascists. Um, many fascist groups back in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s did, just like straight up, call themselves fascist. Today, that's decreasingly the case, right? Uh, because of the legacy of the horrors of fascism from, from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. Now, that's what fascism claims to be. Uh, if we talk about what fascism is in practice, um, fascism is an anti-left political movement. Uh, it is opposed to class politics and also opposes uh, organizations that organize themselves around class politics, especially Marxist organizations. Fascism is anti-democratic. Uh, that means it has an explicit opposition to elections as the sign of political legitimacy. Uh, fascism is nationalist, uh, and not just nationalist in like a patriotic way, but in an exclusionary way. Uh, they believe that their particular nation is the victim of some, you know, international cabal of parasitical people who are both incredibly powerful uh, and also undeserving, right? This is the standard stereotypical boilerplate nature of uh, most anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, uh, not the least of which uh, the Nazi perspective that uh, justified the Holocaust. Fascism uses violence as a political tool uh, to repress the votes of its opposition, uh, to kill the opposition. It loves the military. Uh, fascism is a populist organization. Uh, it is for the masses. It's participatory. It's not just for the members of the political elite. Fascism has an obsession with national renewal or rebirth. 
usually through some sort of like violent crucible. Uh, fascism has an earnest belief in hierarchy, uh, often through a charismatic leader. And finally, fascism doesn't necessarily have a particular class background uh, for its coalition. <clears throat> in the Nazi case, for example, uh, the Nazis had more workers voting for them than non-socialist parties and more professional class people voting for them than the socialists had voting for them. Right. Uh, so they, they, they drew on a wide variety of people from multiple classes. Now, let's talk a little bit about what it is that fascists actually do. Uh, this is drawing on the work of a scholar named Robert Paxton. Uh, I'm simplifying his scholarship to talk about, uh, you know, let's talk about three stages uh, in which fascist organizations develop. Uh, the first one is the one that's pretty much everywhere all the time. Uh, we got like intellectuals and sort of like petty thugs, right? Fascists form journals, publications, blogs, those kinds of things to promote their fascist ideology. Uh, these are primarily organized by young people, uh, and they're also especially primarily young men. Uh, one of the other central features of fascism in general uh, is that fascists, especially at the beginning of their, you know, when they're nascent and just organizing, fascist groups are almost exclusively male uh, and usually very, very uh, in favor of some sort of male supremacism. Uh, fascists are usually very chauvinistic. When fascists remain small, you know, cadres of intellectuals, we're talking about like book clubs, we're talking about small literary journals, tiny magazines, that sort of thing. Um, these organizations exist everywhere all the time, effectively. Uh, in addition to this, we often see very small groups of, you know, fascist street thugs, effectively. Uh, this is the way that the fascist movement was organized in the United States uh, throughout most of the later part of the 20th century. Right, we have relatively small groups of KKK members, neo-Nazis, skinheads, um, people who were not capable of actually wielding real political force. You know, they couldn't like bring lots of people out in the streets. Um, they couldn't really attempt to stage a coup uh, like the fascist organization in the United States very recently did. Um, what they can do is engage in petty political and personal violence and also like disturbing ideological wrangling. Uh, they spend their time uh, espousing their crazy beliefs uh, and harassing other small political organizations, uh, engaging in petty terrorism, holding small rallies. Uh, if you want a comic vision of what this stage of fascist development looks like, uh, think about the fascists from the Blues Brothers, right? They're, they're incompetent buffoons. They're tiny. They're laughable. But if you want a more disturbing real world perspective on what these folks look like, um, Think instead about the sort of like lone wolf movements uh, from the 90s in the United States. You know, these are um, people operating not alone, uh, as the quote lone wolf perspective uh, suggests, uh, but these are instead people who are um, operating in extremely small groups, um, engaging in small acts of political violence that are nonetheless disturbing, violent and sometimes deadly. As fascist groups grow and as the political coalition that they're operating in transforms, um, it's possible for them to engage in politics as partners with other right-wing organizations. This is what Trump's innovation was in the United States, for example. Fascists do the dirty work that other right-wing organizations don't want to perform. Uh, their function is to create and uh, enact political violence in the name of the right-wing for conservatives. That's what conservatives think fascists are for. 
They often also provide some ideological backing, some important symbolism uh, for what would otherwise be a relatively mainstream right-wing movement. Uh, for example, we're talking about Franco Spain or Salazar Portugal, um, in which there were, you know, major fascist aesthetics and fascist rhetorics attached to what was otherwise a relatively standard authoritarian right-wing uh, military government. In coalition, fascists also provide an internal criticism of the right-wing government from the right. Uh, and this is one of their other functions in that coalition. Uh, their purpose is to uh, be a force for rightward movement in a coalition that might otherwise settle in a more standard authoritarian direction. One of their functions here is to provide an internal safety valve uh, for dissident youth or for dissident intellectuals, uh, for violent tendencies that might otherwise disrupt the existing right-wing coalition. However, one of the other possibilities is that internal wrangling within the right-wing coalition could result in the fascists taking power within that coalition. Uh, they could ultimately achieve what uh, Marxist scholar Antonio Gramsci would describe as hegemony on their side. Uh, what this means is that they would be the leading force in a right-wing coalition. And when that happens, the fascists become the bearers of state power. Um, this has only happened, as I said earlier, three times uh, in Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, and in Austria just before the Anschluss, when, which is uh, Germany's annexation of Austria. This is an extremely rare thing, but it is exactly what people who study fascism, who warn against fascism, are warning you about. Um, fascists are dangerous uh, as small groups. They're more dangerous as members of political coalitions. Um, but as the bearers of full state power, they have committed some of the worst atrocities in living memory or in human history. But these cases are the ones that are the most known. Uh, I'm going to delve a little bit further into the case in which uh, fascists form a part of a political coalition, uh, because those are the cases that are the most common or the, you know, they're more common than fascists actually achieving state power. Um, but they're relatively unknown uh, to most people. One particular and good example um, is in Spain. Right. Uh, Franco Spain was effectively a military dictatorship with fascist aesthetic trappings. Franco Spain was technically a one party state and the fascist party, the uh, Falange, was that party. However, it was the junior member in the political coalition in Spain, uh, junior both to the military itself and also to established business interests and, uh, you know, sort of like standard church conservative organizations like Opus Dei, for example. So even though technically Spain was ruled by a fascist party, it was not necessarily like actually a fully organized fascist state. Uh, it was a more legitimate governmental face uh, to what was otherwise a military regime, uh, controlled after all by a general rather than a political organizer or an ideologue uh, like Adolf Hitler or Mussolini, who were, you know, professional political organizers. In other cases, uh, the coalition that fascists join is a lot more under the table and, you know, more clandestine. Uh, fascists are participating in state governance and they're especially participating in state violence, uh, but they're not officially sanctioned as members of the government. You know, they're not government employees. They're not the official party or something like that. For an example of this, uh, think about the dirty war in Argentina or Chile. Uh, it was the government there uh, that was 
you know, officially sanctioning and organizing the killing of most leftists. But they did that in coalition and cooperation with various other organizations. For the example, the Alianza Anticomunista Argentina, the Argentine Anti-Communist Alliance, uh, which was a quasi-fascist paramilitary organization uh, that had some members who were, yeah, state employees, uh, but other members who were just like people who really believed in killing communists. If you live in the United States, this is the sort of thing that you are, well, that you should be thinking about when you hear something like, oh yeah, the police were cooperating with the Proud Boys uh, to surveil a Black Lives Matter protest, or the police were engaging with the three percenter militia uh, at a, you know, at a rally in D.C. This is exactly that kind of cooperation. This is a fascist movement cooperating and engaging with the state governance structure. This is precisely the sort of thing that has ended up destabilizing many democracies uh, throughout the 20th century and that almost toppled the United States government in uh, early 2021 on January 6th. So I've talked about what fascism is historically. I've talked about what fascists do in a right-wing political coalition. Let's talk a little bit about what fascists are, like, like who they are specifically. Fascists, as I've said previously, are primarily young uh, as fascist movements uh, grow and emerge. Um, and these young, newly organized fascists uh, organize alongside aged fascists, right? Like, like oftentimes these are people who either came of age immediately after World War II or earlier in the 20th century, people who were actually fascists during World War II. Um, party leaders and young militants deserve to be distinguished from one another. Uh, in this case, we might distinguish somebody like Steve Bannon, uh, who is a sort of like leading figure and ideologue on the right wing in the United States. Distinguish him from somebody like Enrique Tario, the national leader of the Proud Boys in the United States, who is a relatively young street militant, right? Bannon and Tario have a lot of things in common ideologically, but tactically, they differ from one another pretty significantly. Uh, Bannon is a, you know, a PR guy. He's a spin doctor. He's a political strategist. Uh, Tario is a street brawler and the organizer of a national fascist gang, essentially. Uh, when you think about fascists, this is who you should think about. You should think about both of these groups. We have uh, sort of old fogies who believe in extremely disturbing counter-revolutionary things like Bannon. Uh, and we have violent active uh, youth members of effectively street gangs, right? Uh, so the Proud Boys are a perfect example of such a street gang. Um, also, we have the Three Percenters uh, or the Oath Keepers in the United States. Now, it's not that all of the members of these organizations are young people, but they often are. And when they aren't young people, they're often veterans or cops or retired cops or off-duty cops, right? People who had been previously organized into state violence. So generally, if you think about the demographics of fascism, of young, small fascist movements, uh, we're talking about the youth. Uh, we're talking about people under 40. Uh, we're talking about economically disaffected or downwardly mobile people, people who perceive themselves uh, to be economically downwardly mobile, especially with regard to, uh, you know, any previously massively oppressed group uh, whose economic or social position is rising or just like decreasingly bad. Uh, fascism often, well, very specifically attracts primarily men um, in that it is a massively misogynist ideology. 
Uh, fascism is often targeted specifically at and appeals the most uh, to members of a majoritarian or dominant racial, ethnic, or religious group, although that is not always and universally the case, that is predominantly the case. Uh, fascism is often uh, historically heterosexual uh, and heteronormative. Uh, however, the alt-right had a sort of well, flirtation with uh, male homosexuality uh, back before 2020. Uh, you know, this can be seen in figures like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos uh, and also like the, the sort of like guerrilla mindset people uh, who had a sort of like homosexuality, homosociality kind of like belief in the power and virility of men. Uh, but their, you know, sort of like reproachment with, with male homosexuality was really a part of their misogyny. Uh, that has also really waned, uh, as the power of the more sort of, uh, Christian traditionalist, uh, hyper, you know, arch conservative version of, uh, the fascist movement in the United States has triumphed. Uh, this, uh, can be seen in figures like, uh, Nick Fuentes, for example. Now, finally, I want to conclude this, you know, introductory episode about like what fascism is uh, by talking about how to tell fascism from conservatives or from the radical right in general. The key here is to remember that fascists are revolutionaries. Uh, to distinguish fascism from the radical right, for example, like South American dictatorships, um, you can think about fascism as being specifically it's much more popular than elitist. Uh, fascism is a mass political movement. It's not something that just like happens to a country. It's a political movement that grows from the grassroots, from the ground up, just like any other leftist organization. Fascist movements tend to be organized uh, as parties or as like political organizations uh, rather than being a coup that is staged by, you know, elite military forces in secret and then, you know, suddenly just like exposed to the people. Right. Uh, fascism is more about um, remaking the order of the world, uh, whereas most uh, military governments and right wing, you know, right wing military dictatorships are about, quote, restoring an order that they think uh, you know, has has gone away. Uh, fascists generally are at the point where they think like, OK, well, the old order is dead. It is no longer worth reviving. And instead, what we need to do is make a new one. Distinguishing fascism from conservatism is precisely about this, right? Fascism are all about creating a new world, not about preserving the old world. The other main distinction between fascists and conservatives is that they do not play by the rules. Fascists do not even claim to play by the rules. Conservatives do, right? Conservatives think that they can win and keep political power through elections, you know, through the normative governance structures of their countries. Fascists do not believe that. They do not care about those rules. They are out to take power and remake the world by whatever means they can. And the means that they can are violence. Uh, fascists do not just believe that violence is occasionally useful, as conservatives clearly do. Fascists believe that violence is good, and not just good as a tactic, like it gets them what they want. They believe that violence is good for the people who are perpetrating the violence. Fascists believe that violence makes good men. Uh, they believe that violence is good for the violent and good for the society in which they are being violent. Uh, and this is why fascists constantly emphasize uh, insurrections, um, attacks on their political opponents. Uh, they organize themselves in like sort of like military squads. It's because they believe in violence, uh, not as a means, but as an end. 
Fascists are also explicitly opposed to democracy, not just skeptical about particular votes. They believe that democracy as such is not the best way to organize a country's politics. Uh, fascists, uh, unlike conservatives, uh, also are not necessarily religiously motivated, although they often are. What this means, this distinction between fascism and the other forms of the right wing, uh, what this means is that uh, fighting fascism requires different strategies and tactics uh, than fighting the right wing in general. Specifically, it means that you need to recognize the rhetorics and ideologies that mobilize fascist sympathies and ideas, even when the organizations and people who are being mobilized are not themselves fascist, right? So Trump himself was not a fascist, right? He was a pretty mainstream Republican, right? His policies were particularly nationalistic, um, but they weren't really out of line for what a lot of Republicans wanted. You know, um, probably the biggest distinction there would be his opposition to immigration uh, and his nationalist anti-immigration laws. But most of the rest of his stuff, right, you know, uh, supporting corporate governance structure, um, his uh, hardline racism against Muslim people uh, or people from the Middle East, uh, that's pretty standard Republican shit. What distinguishes Trump from previous Republican figures is that he had fascists and fascist ideology as a major part of his political coalition. These people were brought in intentionally by Steve Bannon, uh, his extremely successful, Trump's extremely successful chief of staff. It's important to recognize fascism when it starts in this way, in embryo form, right? Like I've said, fascist movements are pretty much everywhere all the time always vying for power in exactly the same way that small leftist groups are everywhere all the time vying for power within their societies. The problem is when conservatives, mainstream conservatives, uh, like Trump and the Republican Party in general, recognize that fascists can be used uh, in order to achieve political ends. When that happens, the fascists become an effective part of that political coalition and get power inside of it. And when they do that, they can vie for power within that coalition, get stuff that they want. You know, they can move that coalition further and further to the right, usually further and further in an exclusionary nationalistic direction and in a virulently misogynist uh, and anti-LGBTQ direction. This allows them to put their ideology on the governing table, right? You know, it actually becomes law. That's what happens most of the time, right? When fascists are part of a governing coalition, they get some of the stuff that they want. But there are some cases, like Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, when the fascists become the leading members of their political coalition. You know, the political wrangling on the right wing about who's going to be in power, who's going to be in charge of the coalition. This is the kind of wrangling that we're seeing going on in the Republican Party right now uh, that the uh, attempted coup on January 6th is emblematic of. This kind of political wrangling, if the fascists win, can sometimes produce the most disturbing, violent, disgusting, and evil societies, uh, well, some of the most evil societies that humans have ever uh, created and lived under. And this is the motivating force behind my making this podcast, behind the work that I do uh, as a scholar, uh, is to let people know about what fascism is, what dangers it poses, uh, and hopefully that they can use that knowledge in order to stop its organizing before it is too late. All right, that was a special episode of 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right, uh, telling you again what fascism is, 
who fascists are and what their role on the right wing coalition is. Uh, thanks to Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. Uh, if you found this podcast interesting, useful, educational, please like, share, and subscribe with friends, family, and comrades. And check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Bye.